All right. What is up, Salt Company? You guys can go ahead and find a seat. How are we doing? Man, it's good. I know, sunshine. Spring, we were all outside till like, I told, I convinced Ray before service that, oh, I forgot to tell the students that like Salt Company's canceled tonight or whatever because everybody was outside at like 8.01 and she's like, oh my gosh, but we're just enjoying sunshine. So I, I got you, Ray. Ray's back there on the sound. She's a beast. Give it up for Ray. Making this happen. You too, Morgan, on the slides. Um, guys, I feel like I haven't been to Salt Company in ages. We had Easter this last week, so we didn't have Salt Company because of the Good Friday service. And then the week before, uh, my wife gave birth to our first child, Sailor Lorraine Lopez, 6.2 ounces. She has stolen my heart. She is a beauty. Or I could be biased. You know, I, I think most babies are like really ugly at first. And, and so, but, but I think God makes you attracted to your child so that you love your child. So y'all can tell, is she cute or is she mid? <laughs> you better think she's cute or I'll kill you. Um, so we have a little girl. I'll tell you a story about her in a second. But before, because I was out that week, Dylan and Hayden picked up so much slack and Seth Jones as well. Dylan preached last minute, so... I just want to take a second and honor your SALT staff. They're incredible. Um, thank you guys so much. Dylan, I heard it was great. And Hayden, you're a beast too. So thank you all. I love getting to, seriously, to, to get to co-lead this ministry with him. And along, I just feel so privileged for that. And so um, God is really good in what he's doing here. We've, we've only existed not even two years yet. And what he's done is just uh, pretty incredible. And so DJ, thanks for sharing your story. That was awesome. Um, okay, you want a sailor, a funny sailor story before we start? So, uh, I, I guess you didn't, like, I haven't changed many diapers before, and, and so I didn't know this, and so most guys here, you probably haven't changed many diapers before. I had changed, like, two of my nieces and nephews once, and they weren't poopies, all right? So now I know what I'm doing, okay? I've changed, like, a million in the last two weeks, but uh, the other night, I was asleep, like a good dad, and Lindsay was up at 3 a.m. with sailor crying, and... So diaper 101, you, you don't know this, probably, guys, maybe you do. But when you go to change a diaper, what you need to do is you need to put another diaper underneath that diaper, okay? That's just, you just, just do it. I didn't do it the first time, and I, I really regret it. And, and so for some reason at 3 a.m., maybe, maybe that's wise because it's 3 a.m., Lindsay's brain wasn't working just right. And so she didn't do it this time, okay? She always does that. She's babysat for years. She, she's, she's good at changing diapers. She's way better than me. And... She's like, oh, shoot, I didn't change. Well, it'll probably be fine. It's just three seconds. The diaper's right here. I'm just going to grab it. And so she's telling me the next morning. She's like, Tim, I go, I move it, grab the other one, and <laughs> And she just grabbed everywhere, like all over her clothes. And so, yeah, that's what it's like these days. She has, she has peed on both Lindsay and I. She hasn't pooped on me yet, just Lindsay. But, all right, like Lindsay was pregnant, guys, I am pregnant with Sermon, and it's time to deliver. So, uh Grab your Bibles, we're in Romans 8. Hopefully there's no afterbirth, all right? <laughs> okay, Romans 8. Uh, if you've been with us the last couple months, guys, we have been going through this incredible chapter of Romans 8. And the last time we met, kind of Paul in this, in this section we're in has, has kind of asked this question implicitly of how do Christians... Right? How, how do we as Christians face 
this life with all the trials as a result of following Jesus, with the, the sufferings we go through as a result of living in a broken, fallen world, how do we face this life with confidence and hope? And so the last time we were in Romans 8, Ernie talked to us, and the promise and, and, and the reason, one of the, the first reasons Paul gives us that we're able to do this is because Christians have an incredible future that's ahead of them. Every Christian has this promise of, of heaven one day where we'll be in eternity with the Father. There's no more pain, no more suffering. Okay, that was the first promise. That's, that's how we can endure because it is all worth it. Living this, this Christian life following Jesus is worth it because what we're gonna experience in the end doesn't even compare with the sufferings we go through in life now. But tonight in our text, we're just looking at, at five verses. Paul's gonna give us two more reasons or really, or really promises that also tell us and help us when it comes to living this Christian life and walking in confidence, knowing what our hope is. So that's what we're looking at tonight. We're gonna look at two promises and then we're gonna finish by looking at the foundation these promises rest on. Okay, does that make sense? Two promises and then we're looking at the foundation these promises rest on. And um, I'm excited for what God has for us. Uh, it's gonna be great. We'll start in, in verse 26 of Romans chapter eight. Paul says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He's a really famous verse, verse 28. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he, that's God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, so we're looking at two promises in these texts in this in this text that should give us confidence and peace and joy as Christians in this broken world okay so look back at verse 26 here's the first promise if you're a note taker may write this down it's that the Holy Spirit helps us by praying for us that's the first promise the Holy Spirit helps us by praying for us verse 26 says likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes, which means prays and intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So Paul's saying this, likewise, right? Like you, you read scripture in context. So we gotta remember what Ernie talked about the week before. So likewise, like in the same way that knowing what our future ahead of us is and how that gives us confidence, so should knowing that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. As Christians, the spirit that God has given us and placed in us, he is praying for us and interceding on our behalf. And this should also give us Christians great confidence and great joy knowing that. We should be encouraged. Now, if you're like me when you first read this, I'm like, okay, that, that sounds awesome, but like, how, how does that, like, I, I don't really get it. Like, what's so, what's so incredible about that? That sounds awesome that the spirit prays for me, but how does this kind of change my life? You know, well, there's a few reasons that makes this promise great. And the number one reason is that we are weak. Notice how it says in our weakness, guys, all humans and Christians included 
this side of heaven, guys, we are weak. Even the best Christians are weak and flawed. We're broken and we still need God's, God's grace. We don't always know what's best. We don't always know what to be praying for as we should. That's what the text says. He says, notice, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So last week I was talking with my dad about prayer. Okay, my dad became a Christian, like you, DJ, his, his freshman year in college. That's when God saved him. And his sophomore year, he was leading a Bible study of a bunch of other, uh, a bunch of other freshmen, okay? And, and so he asked them this question, has anybody had an answer to prayer, you know, this, this last week? And one of the, the guys was like, yeah, uh, t- today on the way over here, I had to come from Mississippi and I grew up in Louisiana, so it's not too far from where we grew up. And he's like, I had, I had to come from Mississippi, and I was running late, so I had to speed. And I prayed that, that God wouldn't let me get caught, and I didn't get caught, so he answered my prayer, all right? <laughs> it's probably not how we should be praying, okay? This guy was a little off, all right? But on a more serious note, think about it for yourself. Have you ever been in a situation in life where you just didn't know what to pray for. You, you're like, like, you know you're supposed to pray. You know prayer is a gift where we get to commune and talk with God, but you just didn't have the words to say. Maybe it's because you messed up really bad. You sinned in a way that you thought you couldn't. You thought, man, there's no way that I could approach God right now, which isn't true. But your conscience was telling you that. The enemy was telling you that. You just didn't have the words to say. Maybe you were in a, a season of just intense grief Maybe you lost a loved one. For my wife and I, two years ago, we lost her brother unexpectedly. And we felt like this. Like, God, what, what are you doing? I don't, I don't understand. I don't even know how you're gonna use this. Your word says that you work all things for the good of those who love you. We're gonna look at that in a second, but, but I, don't, I don't have words to pray. In those moments, and in moments like that, it is really comforting, Christian, knowing that, the Holy Spirit prays for us and intercedes for us on our behalf. So be encouraged by that. And here's the, another reason why that's, that's incredible is that it's the Spirit who's praying for us and the Spirit has no weakness. The Spirit's God. It's the third member of the Trinity. Us, unlike us who are sinful and weak, we don't always know what we should be praying for. Spirit has no flaws. And Paul says, in order to help us, God the Spirit prays to God the Father on our behalf. Guys, this is one of the most beautiful places in all of Scripture where you'll see the Trinity, our God is triune. So Christians refer to him as as the Trinity because there's one God, but there's three persons. And this is one of the clearest examples in Scripture where we see the Trinity working together on our behalf. Okay, so the only reason Christians have the Spirit living in them is because Jesus has died for Christians and made them righteous and he's justified them. And then God sends the spirit to live in Christians. And then God has ordained it to where he wants the spirit to intercede on our behalf. And look how he does it. In verse 27, it says, and he who searches hearts, that's God the father, he knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, so that word saints, like for the saints, that's another word for Christian. Sometimes we think of saint and we think, oh, super Christian, that, that person's super, there's, no, there's no such thing. There's, you're either a, a Christian or you're not a Christian. You're either a saint or you're not. You either have the Holy Spirit or you don't, okay? So if you are a Christian, if your hope and trust is in Jesus, 
then you've been made new and the spirit lives in you. And the promise is that God's spirit is praying on your behalf and he does it. And here's the third thing that makes this promise incredible. According to God's will. Here's the reality, guys. We don't always know what's best, okay? We don't always know what we should be asking for. And if God gave us everything that we wanted and everything that we asked him for, that actually wouldn't be good. Because sometimes I ask and I desire some really bad things and even good things sometimes. Here's the promise. If you really want a good thing and you're asking God for it, if you really wanna be married and you wanna find someone to date who's, and, and you're asking God for that and that God isn't giving that to you and he's withholding that, then it is for your good for some reason. Because the spirit prays in accordance to God's will. He intercedes for us in accordance to God's will, not our own. Often I think we can think about prayer like this, like, okay, how can I make God's will change to match the things that I want in mind? When really, guys, prayer should be far more about how can I make my will, my desires align with God's? And if you've been following Jesus for a while, maybe you've noticed this in your own prayer life, that the things you used to pray for aren't the things you pray for now. Your prayer life has changed. Like, you're not praying as much anymore that God would help you not get caught by the police officer for speeding, but you're praying more for, God, help me live in this broken world as a follower of Jesus. Mature me in my faith. Help me to be bold and share the gospel with people around me who need it. Help me to have patience and love my roommate who's not cleaning up right now. And your prayers have started to change and be less me-focused and more in line with God and his will. That's what he wants. And that's the best thing that can happen for us because God is perfect. He knows what's best for us, okay? So the spirit enables us to pray prayers that please our father. And the first promise is that the Holy Spirit helps us by praying to the Father for us in accordance with the Father's will. And that's really good news for us. We'll keep going in 28, and here's the next promise. Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Here's the second promise, all right? God is working all things together for our good. God is working all things together for our good. So I mean, this is a promise that should absolutely change everything about the way that you and I face life, both the good things in life and also the hard things in life, the difficult things we go through. Now, who is this promise for? Is this promise for everyone? Look at what Paul says. And we know, this is verse 28, right in the beginning, and we know that for those who love God, right, he says that at the beginning, and then at the end of the verse, he says, for those who are called according to his purpose, okay? Guys, these are two different ways to describe the same group of people. He's talking about Christians. Only Christians love God, and we love God because he first loved us, okay? Only Christians have been called according to his purpose. That's what he's talking about here. So if you are a Christian, this promise is for you. It applies to you that no matter what is happening in your life, somehow God is working it out for your good. Now your good may not always be what we think it is. Sometimes we think the best thing for us is something, but it's actually not. 
we'll find out a little bit more how incredible this promise is in the last two verses. But notice Paul does not say that things are being worked out just on their own. It's not just left the chance that, hey, in the end, you know, it's all gonna work out because the sky's blue and, and rainbows and butterflies. Like, no, that's not, it's God is the one who is actively working all things out on your and I's behalf if you are a follower of Jesus. That's really good news. And when he says all, Saul Company, he means all. Like sufferings we go through. Like when my brother-in-law passed away two years ago, I've already seen glimpses of way that God has used that, but sometimes we won't even see it this side of, of heaven. We'll see it in the future. All along, God is using everything that happens for his glory to make us more like him for our good. That's the promise. And we see this all through scripture, right? The, the most wicked thing that humans have ever done was what we celebrated last Friday. You ever think about that? Like we call it Good Friday. That the God, man, the, the only person to ever walk this earth who was sinless, what did we do? We killed him. We drove nails through his hands and through his feet. We spit on him, we mocked him. But we call it Good Friday because what man meant for evil, God meant it for good. I don't have this verse, but Isaiah 53, 10, this is in the Old Testament, like 700 years before Jesus would walk on earth. It says, Isaiah 53, 10, look at it later, but it says, it pleased the will of the Lord to crush him. That before God laid the foundations of the world, it was his will, it was his good and perfect plan that he would one day send his son Jesus to die to redeem the believers. Like that's incredible. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. That's just an example and the prime and greatest example of God working all things for our good as Christians. Now this isn't, right, just positive poly talk though. Okay, nobody likes the person who's, who, who's you know, it's all gonna work out in the end. And you're like, okay, well, why is that? And they're like, you know, just because. And you're like, no, make, like, like there's a foundation that this is built on and it's the next two verses. It's 29 and 30. See, as Christians, guys, we should be, we should be optimistic, okay? We have a lot to be hopeful for because of what Jesus has done. So if you're a pessimist here, you should feel a little convicted right now, all right? But as, as Christians, we should be optimistic, but our optimism isn't just built on fluff. It's not built on anything. It's laid on this incredible foundation and Paul's gonna tell us about it in verses 29 and 30. And verses 29 and 30 are all about God's work of salvation, of how God saves people. Now, here's the problem, right? Often, Christians, we have a very superficial view of salvation where we kind of understand the basics. We don't really have an in-depth understanding of all that goes into it and how it works. And because we don't have an in-depth understanding of how everything works, our confidence and our peace and joy isn't, we're not experiencing it like we should be. Think about it like this. Has, has anyone here ever been rock climbing before? Raise your hand if you've been rock climbing. Just let's see how this, okay, so like uh, about half of you. Now rock climbing with a rope. How many of you have been rock climbing? Not, not bouldering, but I, okay. So less of you, all right. Uh, I got into rock climbing whenever I was in college. 
um, at LSU. And I'm a man of many hobbies. I love picking up a hobby and like doing that. Like right now, my latest one's pickleball or whatever. I just pick up a hobby and I do that for like a couple years and then I get rid of that hobby. But anyways, rock climbing was the one I picked up in college. And one of my favorite things to do is to take people climbing for the first time. Okay, so uh, this this last fall, my, my family came up for Thanksgiving. They drove up from Louisiana and I got to take my brother, my brother-in-law and my youngest adopted brother. I got to take them climbing. We went down to the Red River Gorge, really pretty down there. But there's four of us, and we only had one rope, and so I'm trying to keep us moving, okay? And so Caden, my youngest brother, when it comes to his turn, I'm like, all right, Caden, let's go. And I, like, throw him, in a, throw him in a harness really quickly. I tie the rope to him. I'm like, all right, climb on, dude, go. And so he starts, you know, climbing, and he gets about 10 feet up, and he just starts shaking like crazy. And I'm like, oh, we're all, we're all, and, you know, we're being good older brothers. Come on, Caden, you got this. Go, go, go. You know, and, and dude, he kind of loses it. And he's hanging on for dear life. And he's so terrified because really he didn't have a good understanding of how any of this equipment worked. I didn't take time to explain it to him. Over the years, guys, as I've, as I've taken people climbing, if I take the time to explain to them, hey, this harness and this rope can hold like 3,000 pounds, okay? And these little anchors that are, that are bolted in the wall, they go in about a foot, and those can also hold thousands of pounds. And this little device that I'm, I'm lowering you with, it's the, the technical term is belaying, um, this, this, this device that I'm using, even if I let my hands off, it will automatically catch you. You cannot fall, like, it's, it's dummy proof. You are safe. And when I talk to them about that, their confidence grows, and they have a lot more fun when they're rock climbing. They're not scared with tears coming down their eyes like Caden may or may not have been, Okay because they have a good understanding of how it works. Well, in the same way, oftentimes, after we've taken that like initial leap of faith, for lack of a better term, where it's like, okay, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. Okay, I get that. But we still don't have a, a great grasp or an in-depth understanding of all that goes into salvation. And we don't have a great concept of how it works. And if we would increase our confidence, and if we would have like, I'm sorry, if we would have a greater understanding of how salvation works and all that goes into it, guys, it would increase our confidence. It would increase our peace and our gratitude and our joy. See, a lot of times church people, this is something I've noticed, they understand salvation in the same way that we understand cars, if you're, if you're like me, okay? Um, like, I know how to drive a car. I know if I put gas in the, in the I don't even know what it's called. That's how much I don't know about cars, okay? Uh, you turn the ignition, all right, and the car's gonna start up. And then, you know, right pedals go, left pedals break. All right, shouldn't drive with two feet. They teach you that in driver's ed. Um, like, I know how to get from point A to point B. But when it comes to, like, understanding how the car works, I'm kind of clueless. Like, I don't really know what's going on. Now, of course, whenever I was in college and I was dating Lindsay, you know, and, and we'd be driving together and I'd hear something funny. Of course, I'm going to get out and, I'm, hey, pop the hood, you know, and I'd look at it like, um, you know, I think it's uh, the, the, I'm like looking up stuff on my phone. I think it's the blinker fluid. Um, you know, I, actually, I think the engine's just broken. You might need a new one. Like, like I, I don't know, okay? But listen, if you're a car person here, any car people here? Like people who just love cars? Okay, kind of, I, I knew you were one over here. okay. If you're a car person, right, you know how to talk, talk shop. You understand how all the pieces work, 
how the pistons move and how they function with the transmission and the, the valves and, you know, all that stuff. And, 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 and this is how ignorant I am and incompetent, okay? But it gets me from A to B, all right? It's, it's, what, I'm, it's what I'm happy with. But, like, if you're a car person, like, you're driving with them and they'll hear that noise. They're like, oh, yeah, that's your, that's your water pump probably. Or it's like, what? Like, how do you know? Are you, do you make it, you pull my leg right now? Does water pump even exist? It does. I checked on the interweb. But, okay, they know how to talk shop. And they have a great appreciation for all the different pieces and how they work together. But when it comes to, I think, us and most people about salvation, we just know the basics. Well, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need Jesus. I know I don't want to go to hell. But I kind of just want to get it from point A to point B. Just get me to heaven. But listen to me, Salt Company. People who have a great confidence and great hope and joy and peace as they live this life, they understand how salvation works. They have a good grasp and an in-depth understanding of how all the parts work. They understand that the sacrifice of Jesus was a propitiation for our sins and that it had to be this way so that God could be both just and justify ungodly broken people like us. And they understand that they didn't choose God, but God chose them before the foundations of the world. We were dead in our sins, unable to help ourselves. They understand that when God justified us, he gave us his spirit, which helps to sanctify us and it leads to our glorification. And it brings them great confidence because they understand how it all works and how it's all God and not us. And so what Paul wants to do and what I wanna do really in these next two verses is just give us a better understanding of all that goes into it. Kind of pop the hood, if you will, of salvation and look at all the different parts because I think if we do this and if we get a better grasp and God allows us to have that, guys, we're gonna have much more confidence in the Lord, much more peace, much more joy in this life as we follow Jesus. So I want that. Y'all want that? Yeah? Okay. So let's do it. All right, Paul's just given us this promise, this incredible promise, how God works all things for the good of those who love him. And he's gonna work everything out for our good. And here's what that's based on. He says, for, or why do we know this? Verse 29, for or because those whom, that's this God, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, right here, guys. Paul is sort of popping the hood of salvation and how it works, and he's given us a glimpse, and he wants us to understand what's going on here. So he kind of points out five pieces or parts, okay? You have foreknowledge, predestination, and calling, and justification, and glorification. And some of you right now are like, Tim, you already lost me. I feel like I'm staring at an engine. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Okay, stay with me. We're gonna walk through these guys. This isn't just like theological nerd talk that like is irrelevant. Like this is, this is for our benefit to give us more confidence and understand how great our God is, okay? And, and listen, 
This is like, we, we could spend weeks just talking about any one of these words, okay? There's books written on just like one of these words, okay? This is an overview. And if you have questions after, like come talk to me, come talk to Dylan Hayden. Like campus group is a great place, okay? We're all learning, none of us have arrived. And so I'm, I'm speaking about these just with, with a lot of humility and, and these things, these concepts are hard to understand. So just know that. Um, we're gonna move slow. And I'm also gonna work backwards. I think that'll be a little bit easier for us if we start in verse 30 and work our way backwards. So at the end of verse 30, Paul says this, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So here's the question we need to ask, what is glorification? Well, glorification is when God does the final removal of sin and completes the work of making us new. This is when you and I will be free from the presence of sin altogether. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more dying. All things will be made new. We'll be in the presence of God for eternity. We'll be given new and perfect bodies without blemish. Guys, I'm a 27-year-old dad now. The dad bod's already starting to show, and I feel it. Like, I don't rebound the same way I did whenever I was 18 after playing sports, or if Titus comes and gives me a hug. Like, I'm gonna be sore for three days, because <laughs> You know if you've experienced one of Titus' hugs, okay? And it's probably gonna get a lot worse before it gets better. But the promise is one day we will be in glory where there's no more pain and suffering. We have new bodies and we're with God the Father forever. And it's gonna be greater than we could ever imagine. No more sin struggle. No more shame. No more evil. No more need for law enforcement. Amen? That's, that's incredible. That, okay, listen, look who's in this is for. This is the end for people who have been justified. All right? So look back at the end of verse 30. Paul says, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So you see, these things are connected, all right? And if we are sticking with the car analogy, all right, this is when the mechanic pops the hood and he says, all right, your glorification right here, it's connected to your justification. That if you are justified, you are going to be glorified. It's going to happen. In fact, Paul writes this in the past tense. It's guaranteed it's going to happen. But it hasn't happened for any of us yet because we're still here on earth. But for Christians, this is our future. We'll be glorified. But now the next word is justified. Okay, so what does it mean to be justified? Well, justification means to be made right. Okay, if you're a note taker, justification means to be made right. And specifically in this context, it means to be made right with God. And it involves forgiveness, like forgiveness of sins. It involves that. But guys, it is so much more than that. When we're justified, we're actually declared righteous by God. And all the per perfect life that Jesus earned, all his righteousness that he earned on this life is credited to us as if we live that life to where God looks at you now as a son or daughter in whom he's fully pleased before you've done any good work. That's incredible, okay? And so the Bible talks about justification a lot, but we're, we're gonna stick in Romans. And so if we go back three chapters, you don't, you don't need to turn there, I got it on the screen, but this is Paul in Romans 5 verse 8. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, you see, we are sinners, every single one of us, which is why we need justification, which is why we need to be made right. 
And look at what it says. But God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, God loved us, which that's an incredible truth, that when we were enemies of God, when we were rebelling against him, giving him the finger, nailing him to the cross, God loved us. And so what did he do? Because he loved us, he sent Jesus to die for us. And it's in this act, guys, by which you and I are justified, which you and I are forgiven of our sins and made right with God because Jesus bore the penalty himself. That's how it's, and, and, and that act that we're justified, okay? And so we see it in the next verse, verse nine. It says, since therefore we now, this is Christians, have been justified all right, we've been made right with God. How? He says, by his blood, by Jesus' death on the cross. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Okay, we have this justifying act in where Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. Now, here's the question. How do we receive justification? Okay, well, if we look back a few verses in chapter five, verse one, Paul tells us, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by, what does he say, Saul Company? By faith, okay? It's one of the most important things you could ever understand, and I, and I would love to drill that into our heads. The way that we are justified is by faith, by faith in Jesus, through trusting in his work, not our own. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So justification is made possible through Jesus' work on the cross, and the way we receive it is through faith, all right? Now, here's the next question. Where does faith come from? Now, that's a question that, that we really don't think about too much. If I, like, what do you mean, Tim, where does faith come from? Most of us, I think we have this idea that, well, you know, faith is something that everybody has inherently. And people choose to put their faith in different things. Like, you, you choose to put your faith in Jesus or you choose to put your faith in Buddha, or you choose to put your faith, you know, in yourself, or you choose to put your faith in, in whatever. And to an extent, that's, that's sort of true. You know what? Um, but it's different when it comes to faith in God. Like life-changing, saving faith in Jesus that causes us to be justified. Like where does that faith come from? Because here in verse 30, if we go back to Romans 8, Paul doesn't say that those who have faith, he justified. Now, the Bible does say that other places. Like we just saw it in Romans 5. But he says it differently here. Look at what he says in verse 30. He says, and those whom he called, he also justified. So what does he mean by this? Before he says that faith excesses justification. But here he says, called. So what does he mean by using this word called? Well, it's, it's not two different things. But in fact, it is a deeper understanding of the same thing. So again, guys, Paul is kind of popping the hood and helping you and I understand how all of this works. And so if we know that those who have faith are justified, and also that those whom God calls are justified, then it is in God's calling that we are given faith. Okay, so you can write that down because I know I just explained a lot and 
and I'm having to look at my notes a lot because this is hard and I want to make sure I get it right, but it is that it's in God's calling that we are given faith. One of the clearest places in scripture where you and I can see this is in Ephesians 2 verse 8. So this is also Paul, and here's what he says. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And he says, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So Paul says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's a gift of God. Now, what is Paul referring to whenever he says it's a gift? Is he talking about the grace? Or is he talking about the faith? Or is he talking about both, everything in verse eight? And here's the truth, is he's actually talking about everything, that both the grace and the faith that we have is a gift from God. And then he says, it's not your own doing. But you look in verse nine, he says, it is not a result of works so that no one may boast. So here's the thing, when Mason obediently to Jesus and boldly shared the gospel with DJ back in the fall. And DJ's eyes were opened to his brokenness and he responded and said, I believe in Jesus, I trust in him. Mason doesn't look at DJ and say, great job, man. That's a great choice you just made. I'm glad you chose to do that. Mason says, praise God. Just like Hayden and Dylan just did. That wasn't even planned, but that's the, that's the right response is to to praise God because God is the one who gives us faith. So Christians, you and I don't have the right to look at someone and say, man, why don't they just believe? It's not that difficult. Like, why won't they just trust in Jesus? We don't have the right to look at it and not like, why won't they just trust in Jesus? Guys, we were all spiritually dead. We were all spiritually blind, unable to save ourselves. A dead person can't do nothing to make themselves alive. A blind person can't do anything to give them sight. We needed God to save us. And that's what this word calling means. And so this should be both humbling and also comforting, okay? This is what the Bible refers to as regeneration, where Jesus causes us to be born again, that we are given faith to respond to the, to the gospel. And guys, every bit of this, as we are seeing in this text, is, is all God's work. It has nothing to do with us, right? He glorified, not us. He justified, not us. He called. It's all him. Two words left. I know I'm going long. I'm sorry. I think it's worth it. Is it worth it? Keep going? Okay, all right. Verse 30. It says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Okay, so if you've been justified, you know that you've been called. And if you've been called, you know that it's because you have been predestined. These are all connected. So what does predestined mean? Well, it means, honestly, a lot what it reads like, what it sounds like to be to predestine means to set a destination for ourselves or someone else. So in this context, it means that God made a plan for us ahead of time. That God, because of his love for us, he set a destination for us to be with him and glory. And we see it in the next verse. The ultimate goal is that we be conformed to the image of his son. Verse 29. Guys, this is incredible that God, before he even laid the foundations of the world, 
he predestined us to call us and then justify us and will one day glorify us. It is all his work and it is all his plan and his sovereignty. And then in verse 29, we see that those whom the father foreknew, he also predestined. We find out that those whom God predestined, right? He also foreknew. Well, in the Bible, when, when, when it talks about God knowing someone, it means he set his love on them in a personal way. So here Paul is saying and showing us that God has set his love on us back before the beginning of time, before time even existed. God set his love on you, Christian, and would one day predestine you and then call you and give you faith, open your eyes to see, justify you, and will one day glorify you. And it's all his work. Here's how Paul words it in Ephesians 1. He says, even as this is, this is God, even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. In love, verse 5, he predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So instead of foreknowledge here, God uses the word chose. Chose and predestined. That God chose us before the foundations of the world to set his love on us and predestined us to become sons and daughters one day. Um, guys, as you look at these chain of, you know, theologians call this the golden chain. This is the good news. This is like the engine, you know, this is, and, and we just did a flyover of everything that God has done to accomplish our salvation. And what we see and what I want to see tonight, guys, it is all his work. It has nothing to do with us. And I also want to say this, guys, like foreknowledge and predestination, those, those are difficult concepts to understand. And, and I want to just tell you something. That when, when I was sitting in your chair, my college pastor told me this when I was a college student in a ministry just like this at LSU that has been really comforting to me. And, it, and it's what God meant to be a pillow for your heart. Don't let it become a stumbling block for your mind. Christian, this is meant to be encouraging to you, something that God has given you truce in his word that we'd rest our head on at night, knowing that it's all on his shoulders and not on ours. What God meant to be a pillow for our heart, don't let it become a stumbling block for our mind to where it trips us up. But at the same time, it is okay to ask questions and understand it's hard to wrap our minds around the gospel. It's a mystery, as Paul calls it. And God is so much bigger than us and we have puny-sized brains and we're not God. And so I don't get to look at God and just, just point the finger like, well, that's not how I would do it. No, God, like, and, and we don't want, and I mean, this, this doesn't seem fair. Like, guys, we don't want fair. If we had fair, like we want, we want rescue. We need rescue. So if you're wondering like, okay, it's a lot of truths. What do I do with this? All right, here's some application real quick and then, then I'll pray for us. Uh, the first is this, guys, is, is gratitude. The response that we should have to God who has done everything to make us right with him and has given us this incredible future and this hope that we have now and life now, the life that, that DJ talked about in that video, the response that we, ha that we should have is to just be grateful. 
Like we don't deserve anything from him. And if you think that you do deserve something from God, you have too small a view of how holy God is and too big of a view of yourself. And sometimes we have that, we're broken, we're flawed and God's still merciful to us. And so number one, like just, just be grateful. Number two, rest. Your salvation's not on your own shoulders. So don't fall into legalism feeling like you need to earn. That you can make yourself lose God's approval if you blow it to God. Rest knowing that your salvation's secure and God promises to finish the work that he started in us and he will because his word says he cannot lie. So rest in the truth of his word. And the third thing is, is, is worship. The right response to God who has loved you and I when we were unlovable, wanting nothing to do with him. And he's given us this hope is to just fall back and just worship him in the way that we obey him in his word, in the way that we sing to him, like we're gonna do in a second, in the way that we love those around us. Guys, all of that is worship because we have first been loved by him and he's shown us such great mercy. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you just for... Um, this incredible passage, um, these incredible truths. Uh, none of us can boast in anything in and of ourselves, but only in the cross of Christ and what he's done on our behalf, Lord. I thank you, God, that you offer um, yourself to anyone who trusts in you. That you have made a way for us to be made right with you that once we're secure with you, Lord, you will finish the work you started. There's no losing salvation. We did nothing to earn it in the first place. Lord, you did everything. God, I pray that this good news and understanding how much you love us would fuel us with confidence and fuel us with joy and fuel us with a holy ambition to go bring the gospel to those all around us on our campuses those who you want to save, Lord, those who you want to bring to yourself. God, you are so, so good to us and you are so merciful. Thank you.